tonight. Uh, Pastor and Pastor and Sisterhood are, are out of town, and uh, they sent a text saying that they miss and love everybody, and they're excited. Pray, pray for them to come back home safely and travel safely and all that good stuff. Uh, we miss them as they're gone as well. Um, who's ready to have church tonight? Right? All right. Well, I promise I, I don't think I'm going to be long. This is probably the, the least or the fewest number of scriptures I've ever dealt with in a message. So we'll see where this goes. That doesn't mean it's not going to go long. I'm just, we're going to see. I don't make many promises that I, I can't for sure keep. Thank you very much for the praise team and all the singers out here. Uh, give them a hand as they get to their seats. Okay, well, I'm excited about tonight. I'm excited about this message. <clears throat> Something I've kind of been... I don't know, I've had a lot of these thoughts uh, going in, in prayer and, and, and in my daily scripture reading and, and that kind of things have come up and just watching the service unfold and people, you know, singing certain songs and even just introductions and hearing, you know, the sacrifice that Jesus, I'm going to talk about those things today and, and I think we're in the right place because I'm, I'm feeling like uh, we're, we're, we're going to tap into something here tonight and it's a very simple message. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to hit everybody right between the ears, right up here, because this is going to be something that hopefully we can take a little piece of this with us when we leave here tonight. So my title for this message tonight is More Like Him. Very simple title, but it, there you can tell there's going to be a lot involved with that. More Like Him. I'm going to start with the scripture of Romans, verses 12 and 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, that's a, a short scripture. That's one of the three, I believe, I have that are going to get up on that screen tonight. I might have five in total for you tonight. But that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, you may be seated right now in the presence of the Lord. And I will tell you this scripture speaks to me because... When I pray, and I don't have an exotic prayer life uh, that is, you know, um, I do okay. I think I do fine. But I do know that when I pray, that is the one thing that I will always include in my prayers. And it's, it's hard not to include this in our prayers. And that is seeking the will of God in our life. Because that's what it's all about. If I'm seeking my will or any other will, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work out the way it should. Um, it might work out some way, but it's not going to work out God's way. So we need to be seeking after God's will. If we're going to be more like him, we need to ask him, give me your will, Lord. Lead me in your, with your spirit and by your spirit. Um, here's a question. I, I got a couple questions tonight. Why didn't God just transform us himself and just take care of it? What We're talking about being transformed. God could do that, right? God can transform us and, and take care of it all right there and just take the responsibility away from us and, and, and all upon himself. But that's not his way. God gave us a conscience. He gave us a consciousness. And that is to know and understand what is right from wrong. He also gave us a free will to choose to serve and follow him and his word or not to follow him and his word. The bottom line is that we have a choice. And I have a choice and you have a choice. We all have a choice that we have to make. Um, I had a story I was going to tell, but I'm going to tell a different one this time. 
uh, I don't know if I've ever said this one here um, in, in Carson City. I may have shared this in, in Fallon. I feel like I've shared it somewhere before, but I'm going to share something. It's a little story about something that I learned in my life about 25 years ago um, when I was just a tender, young, 24-year-old man. And um, I was accepting a management position in, obviously, in the world, in a, a job. It was a, it was a secular job. And um, I was accepting a management position in a, what would be considered a perennial Fortune 500 company. And I, was, I thought I was pretty young. I thought I was doing okay. Well, it was probably more like a top 100 company, really. It's, if I mentioned the name, everybody would know it. Um, so my future looked pretty good right there. I thought, hey, I'm doing all right. I just, I just did my enlistment in the Army. I got out, and I got a good job, and I was going to school, and everything was just working out fine. Well, <clears throat> it, what happened was, uh, in my training, they gave us a test, and <clears throat> um, I don't remember the entire test, but I do remember that there was a number of questions, and I only missed one question. And you know how if you've ever taken a test and you only miss one question, it can drive you crazy. It can make you be like, why did I miss that? I knew the answer, right? But this was not that case because this was a case where this, this was a different type of question. And I've, for some reason, it stuck with me, and it's, it's hanging on in my life still to today. And I think this is something that's valuable that everybody can profit from uh, as I tell this story. So I took this test. I got this one question wrong, and I didn't agree with them, and I wanted to argue and say, hey, I, I think the test has is, is got a problem. Or I think the test is, you know, is fouled up or something's wrong here. Well, uh, that, didn't, that didn't change the result. So it took me a while to come to an agreement with that answer and agreement with that truth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell y'all what this was about. So it was saying, what is the, I'm going to paraphrase because I obviously don't remember the exact wording. What was the, um, the, best, the best way to ensure a successful career or something to that effect? What is the best way to ensure a successful career or to, to ensure a successful um, livelihood, et cetera, et cetera? And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've, I've been around. I'm a worldly young 24-year-old guy. I know a thing or two. You know, I'm, I wasn't born yesterday. But uh, there was a multiple choice answers, and the one I chose was not the correct one but the one that I didn't choose was the correct one. And this is what that answer was. And it was obedience to what? Who knows the answer now? Authority. Obedience to authority. Well, you can kind of see, if I was 24 years old, why I probably would not agree with that particular answer at the time. Okay, well, and that's, that does explain a lot. Okay, we learn in life. And, and wisdom comes with time. And wisdom comes with age. But, but I found that the more I, I, I focused on that and have gone through life, I have learned that obedience to authority is one of the key, most critical things we can do to be successful, to be, to be promoted on the job. You don't get promoted on the job from telling your boss to go take a hike. That is not going to work. You, you really, you have to perform, but you have to do what makes the boss happy because the boss being happy means you're going to get the benefits that come with making the boss happy. And that applies to life. It doesn't just apply to secular jobs. And I will tell you one thing that somebody told me a long time ago when I was in the military, is, and that is no matter who you are, no matter 
how much money you have, no matter what your rank is, you will always have somebody that's going to be above you. There's always going to be somebody that's going to be above you and that you're going to answer to. And guess what? That's true. It doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, or whoever you are. You're going to have to answer to someone. And I'm going to tell you right now, as Christians, we have a higher authority, and that is Jesus Christ. And we are always, we should be aware and understanding that we have to answer to him. We have to answer to him and him alone. He is our he is our boss. He is our, he's our father. He is everything. So we have to understand that learning this, and I'm telling you young people in the audience right now, this is an important lesson. If you learn this, and if you learn it at a young age, and I think I try to instill this in my children. I think, you know, they do a pretty good job of, of obeying authority and all that, even though it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do. So that's a little, a little nugget right there that I just want to start with. But why... Why do I say obedience? Why is this coming into this, this uh, word that I'm bringing here tonight? We need to learn and to teach ourselves to be obedient. We need to learn and to teach ourselves how to be obedient to the word of God. We have to learn how to be obedient to, to the spirit of God. We have to learn how to be obedient to those in positions of authority above us. We have to do that. And if you don't learn it, you're going to have a hard time. You're going you're gonna to go through things in life that you could have avoided and that you would have liked to have avoided if you would have just smartened up and listened to the man that's in charge. Okay? We, we know who that is. There can be many awesome, powerful displays in this world that will command your obedience. Sometimes you don't have a choice. If I'll give you an example, a real brief, uh, of something that I had an occasion to be obedient toward. Um, I was on tanks in my, in my career in the military. I was a tank commander. Well, you have to be obedient to the rules of the tank. If you disregard the rules of the tank or the, or the person who's in charge of the tank, which is the tank commander, you could die, okay? You can get hurt. You can hurt others. People, people will, can be maimed. They could be crippled for life. I've seen, I've seen these injuries. I've seen problems. Um, I was not only a tank commander, I was a master gunner, so I was in charge of the ranges for tanks. And I had to ensure that people were obeying my command from, I wasn't in the tank with these people, but I'm up in a tower over the radio and telling them what to do. And I had to ensure that they obeyed every single command to the T. And if they had problems identifying things that we asked them to identify or following the instructions, we didn't let them go. We pulled them off the range. I, ha I had to do that a couple of times. And it's, it's not very common, but if you're not going to do it right, we're not going to let you uh, put other people's lives in danger or in harm's way. But you can imagine, uh, if somebody says you, uh, you got to arm the arming lever before you pull the trigger so that the loader can get out of the way for the recoil of the gun, you better wait for him to arm the arming lever, otherwise you could, you could kill that young man or that young person who's, who's loading your, your tank round. You have to understand, it's important. We cannot, we cannot get, get past this at any time. But in obeying the word of God, we have to follow the word of God. We have to be obedient to God himself and Jesus Christ and his example that he set. Jesus Christ set an example for us. He set an example for us on this earth. His life was an example for us on this earth. And we can follow after that example that he set. 
um, if you fail to obey some things, it could be up upon the pain of death. And we're not, now I'm going to shift a little bit and, and going from a, from a physical to more of a spiritual. Um, we all know that the spirit is far more important than the physical. And as I get older, and I'm 49, uh, I'm telling you, I know how it feels to hurt and have aches and pains. And I'm not going to miss this body when the time comes to call me upstairs and go to, I'm not going to miss it, folks. I'll say I had a good run. I used it. I wore it out. But you know what? I don't need that. I want want my spirit to be ready, to be accepted into heaven. That's what I need. That's what we should be seeking after each and every day of our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 17. Before I read this, I want to just say, a couple of words that just pop out when I talk about obedience. And, and these words, I don't know, they may be, they may be foreign to some in the, in the modern, um, modern era. And a couple of words, discipline. Discipline is important. If you're going to learn how to become obedient, you have to discipline yourself to do that. It's not, e- it's not easy. It's not always easy. It can be easy from time to time, but it's not always going to be easy. How about commitment? I mean, we, we see the ages are changing over different, different time periods, and the values of our society are not what they used to be 30 years ago, 20 years ago. It's, it's changing, but those, those values of discipline and commitment, you're going to need those things in your life if you're going to be successful living for God. Second <clears throat> Corinthians uh, 5, 6 through 17. Let, uh, allow me to exegete a little bit on these. Uh, I'll let you know when that's happening. And so we start at number six. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. What is that saying right there, that last line? We, are, we live by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, not the natural. Our faith is shown not only by our actions, but it's by the lives that we live. That is where we show our faith. And faith produces evidence. It, your faith will produce evidence of your faith. You, people will know that you have faith in something if you live it. And if you prove it to them. And there will be evidence in your life. And that is important. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, whether it be good or bad. And I say this, our actions in this life will prove what we truly love. Whether it's Christ or the world, our actions are going to prove what we truly love. And there's people that say, well, only God can judge me. And, you know, well, you're right. God will judge you. Correct. So why are you acting this way? Uh, But they think it's an excuse to say, you cannot tell me that I don't line up with the word of God. Well, we're letting somebody down if we don't tell them that they're not lining up properly with the word of God or with the word of God. We need to we need, I I need someone to correct me if I'm not if I'm going down the wrong path. I don't want someone to just 
oh, you're doing fine. It's okay. Uh, just pat you on the back. And you know what? Uh, you'll get them next time. No, that, that's, that's not, that's not going to produce an overcomer. That is not going to produce a strong Christian. <clears throat> Knowing, therefore, and verse 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And this is your mind. So this is what I'm talking about, about your mind, your conscience, your consciences, every, collectively. Our mind, the world's motto is, let your conscience be your guide. That is the, that is the motto of the world. But that is not the motto of a true Christian. The motto of a true Christian should be, let us look to the Lord in every situation. I don't want my conscience to dictate to me what the right course of action is in my life for myself, for my children, for my family, for my loved ones. I could get it wrong. I want his course of action. I want to follow him. We need to understand, we can't be like the world, let your conscience be the guide. There's, there's people out there that absolutely, they live like animals, and they don't have a conscience. And I'm, I, I hate to say it, but it's true. And, um, you know, some of us have probably experienced this uh, firsthand in, in ways that we really don't care to share. But it is, it is a serious thing. We need to let our conscience turn us toward Jesus Christ. When our conscience comes into play, the first thing that should come to mind should be Jesus Christ. What, is, what does the Word say? What, is, what did God, what did Jesus do in this situation when he was walking on earth? And he did. He set a great example. He he, he was perfect. And I'm not saying we have to be perfect because that's impossible. But we can do something for the, for the kingdom of God. Um, number 12. For we condemn not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are, uh, then we're all dead. And he, and that he died for all. He died for all. The Lord gave his only begotten son, as Mark quoted in, the, in, his, in the opening. He died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. We must know Christ and set our mind upon following him, both in his example and by his spirit. That is the key. That is what we need to do right there. And then in number 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's, that's what it's all about. We have to transform ourselves. We have to remodel ourselves. I did not grow up in Pentecost. I did not grow up in church. Um, I was exposed to church. I understood church. I thought I did. Um, but this is a whole other thing. This is completely different. 
we, we need to understand that, that the word of God is without error. There, there is nothing else you can, you can bank on in this world but the word of God right here in front of everybody right here. That's, that's a fact. So how do we know if our life has truly begun anew? We do it by receiving his spirit. Evidence was speaking in tongues. And by fixing our mind and our life on him. When God becomes active in your life, there will be undeniable proof and fruit resulting from this relationship and this transformation. So if you've been living for God for any amount of time, there should be some evidence in your life already. And it's the kind of, it, this is the kind of thing that's going to stick around. It's not just going to get thrown out with the, with the dirty clothes or whatever it is. We need, we need to understand, we're going we're gonna to acquire more and more and more things in this life that are going to testify to our love of Christ and to our discipleship as true Christians. Um, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. If there be any, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, of, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill me, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It all starts in the mind. All of this starts in the mind. This is where it all begins. Your faith, your, your walk, your relationship, it all starts in here. And you can't really necessarily, this is, this is, it's a higher thought. It's, you're not like animals. Animals don't have a conscience as humans do, as we all do. We, we need to understand we're special. We're created in his image. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him, this is the key right here, the form of a servant. He took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. There's that word, obedient. So did Jesus set the example for us in his obedience? He became obedient. <clears throat> even the death, e obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He sacrificed for us. He sacrificed for you. He sacrificed for me because it was an act of obedience. And that's how we're going to make it is through acts of obedience. We need to take control of our minds. Set a course for your life that is proven to be the best and most righteous path for our mind, our body, and our soul. Jesus gave us an example of this. When we, when we look at the word of God, I've said this before, but it, 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 it's something that I just, I can't let go of because it speaks to me. And that is, we look at the first words recorded in the Bible of Jesus Christ. That is, I must be about my father's 
business. So that tells you what was on his mind. I'm going to be about my father's business. And then when they record the last words of Jesus on the cross, he says, it is finished. What is finished? His father's business is finished. His job is finished. He completed that task which he knew he had to complete. And he knew he had to use obedience. And he knew he had to do everything he could, conjure up all his strength to complete that task. But he did it, and he knew then he could say, it is finished. We need to take that example, and we need to apply that to ourselves, to our life. The world is full of distractions, seemingly never-ending, not just regular tasks, but important stuff. There's all kinds of important stuff in everybody's life right now. I mean, I could sit there and say, I've got a hundred important things I have to do throughout the day, which really, are they eternally important, or are they just an excuse to waste your time doing something that seems like it's a good idea at the time. We really need to focus ourselves because this world is getting more and more distracted every day. It's, it's, it's difficult to focus. It's difficult to concentrate sometimes. I find myself, you know, I live out on a farm out in, you know, kind of middle of nowhere in the desert. And if I have a hard time concentrating out there, I can only imagine if you're in the city with horns and sirens and accidents and who knows what's going on. It just... I would never be able to even hardly wake up properly without getting sidetracked. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy. Uh, these important tasks that we, we always put at the forefront. So you'll always make time for something that's important to you. You'll always find the time for something that is important to you. So really what it is, it's an issue of prioritizing the things that you need to do in your life. And it's a, not just, I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. It's an issue of prioritizing the things that are important, the things that we need to focus on and, and, and spend our time because this time is fleeting. The time is very fleeting, and it's, it's going to be gone in the blink of an eye. Um, it really is. I want to give encouragement to you all, and in particular, someone right now that is feeling or saying to themselves that it's too hard, it's too difficult to, to be obedient to the word of God. It's just, it's too much to ask. Well, no, it's not, folks. It's really not. And I'm going to encourage you today. You can do it. How can you do it? I'm going I'm to tell you. There, I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes tasks seem to be insurmountable or impossible. Living up to the title of Christian can seem to be one of those areas that seem too demanding. You have to make up in your mind that each day, each and every day of this life on earth, I will serve the Lord. You have to make that up in your mind when you wake up. When your eyes pop open, you need to think this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to follow him. This, that's my mission today. Everything else is secondary. Nothing else is important as number one. And that is I will serve the Lord today. I'm going to give you an example. If I told you this, and understand, this is just an example that I'm using, but it's a true example, and it's a practical example. And I don't know why it came to me, but it came to me. If I sat there, let me see, let me look around. Well, who lives the closest to the church? Who, who, who lives closest to the church? Brother Lawrence. We'll, we'll say Brother Lawrence. I, like, I could pick on Brother Lawrence because we're friends. Okay, so Brother Lawrence, you live very close to the church, within a couple of miles probably, correct? So, 
If I told you, Brother Lawrenson, that in this next year, in order to attend church, you are going to drive 9,360 miles in just one year in order to attend church. Does that sound like it's a pretty large task to ask of somebody to drive close to 10,000 miles? I would say yes. 10,000 miles, I mean, how much gas is that? I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician. You, what are you driving? You driving a motorcycle? You driving a truck? You driving an RV? Okay, you get what I'm saying. 9,000, that's a, that's a little bit. Okay, well, that, th I did some calculating, yes, and that's, that's about the average that I'm driving to, to church every year, only if I attend church two times a week. That's only, and I'm not, I'm not saying I had perfect attendance. I'm not saying I've never missed a day of church. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if I only came to church twice a week for 52 weeks, and that's 104, right? Multiply all that out. You're going to get 9,360 miles. That is not including youth events, camps, music, Fallon, uh, all these other activities that are going on. And we know there's a lot of activities going on. For 14 years and close to 15 years, I've been doing that. And if you would have told me when I signed up for this thing right here, okay, this is where I'm going. If you would have said, hey, uh, Brother Diaz, I just want you to know you're going to drive 10,000 miles a year to get to church. And if you would have told me that before I got in here, I might have said, well, I don't know, I'll have to pass on that, right? I mean, that doesn't sound practical. That just doesn't sound wise. It's like, what's wrong with, why would you have to do that? Well, it, 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 that's the way it is, okay? But if we look, we're looking at these things right now, we're looking at them through a, a secular view. We're looking at them through a, a worldly view. Now, well, I'm not sure. Brother Seward's not here. He's probably the one that goes the furthest besides myself. Okay, well, anyhow. If I told you that you were going to drive 27,040 miles a year commuting to work every day, four times a week on the average, but probably more than that, that doesn't seem so crazy, does it? Because you're getting paid. You know, you, you got a good job. You're making so much money an hour or whatever. So the number just, it's the significance changes when you understand the, the, the circumstances or the situation, right? But that's what I did for 14 or 15 years. I commuted 27,040 miles a year. And that's just averaging four days a work week. And that includes my military time. That includes my, my federal government time, my attending of college, and other things. I'm not up here giving myself a pat on the back, and I'm not up here crying about it. What I'm up here saying is this, is that you can multiply 27,000. We have mathematicians. You know, that's like a half a million miles. I don't know. It's a lot of miles. And how much gas is that, you know? It just depends on what you're driving. Now you know why Brother Diaz rides a motorcycle sometimes. You're like, ah, I guess that guy did know a thing or two. Okay, but why? I'm going to put it in perspective. And the perspective is this, is that, is that if we're doing this, the purpose has got to, is got to be wor worthwhile. It has to be worthwhile. We, we don't, nobody wants to, to drive that much. Nobody wants to, to waste their time. Did I come, I, can I remember every sermon I heard? No. I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying. But here's the thing. We have to understand. 
it says in Zechariah, for who hath despised the day of small things? It's, this is not something I did cognitively and thought about it every day and, and, and calculated it out. And, you know, you could do that. You could say, well, if I, if I get a car that has 45 miles per gallon as opposed to a car that, you could really get down and do the nitty-gritty on that. But that's, that's not the point. The point is that if you break it down, it's just a choice of how are you going to live your life that day, that one day. You can't live yesterday. Yesterday is gone. You cannot live tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. You just have to make a choice today. You have to make a choice right now. What am I going to do? What will I be willing to do today to serve the Lord? If they, somebody told me I had to drive a 1,000 miles today to serve the Lord, I would do it. And if they told me the next day I had to do it again, I would do it again. And I'd keep doing it as long as I had it within my power and within my capabilities and within my finances, whatever it is. If I had to do it, I would do it that day. And I look back, and I was kind of astounded. I'm saying, what kind of a crazy guy am I that does this? But that's not the point. The point is we have to understand there's some things in life that are just so important that you will do whatever you have to do to make it. You're going to do whatever. You're going to put it on number one. You're going to make it a priority. Here comes the question that everybody's probably heard before, but it's the same question. It's how do you eat an elephant? Does anybody know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you live your life? One day at a time. We live our lives one day at a time. We don't have to overcomplicate things. We don't have to convolute it and do all these tricky calculations and get a special calculator that has exigence and all this other weird stuff that, you know, I don't, I mean, math is something I gave up a long time ago. But we just have to make up our mind. I am going to serve the Lord. I am going to follow the Lord. I am going to obey the Lord with every day that he gives me on this earth. We have to have a made-up mind to be a servant in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ took upon him the form of a servant. If he took on the form of a servant, shouldn't we take on the form of a servant? We have to have a made-up mind. I am going to be a servant in the kingdom of God. We cannot be persuaded any other way. This has to be the way we get up and we start our day. I'm going to serve the Lord. I am going to serve the Lord. I know that if I want my family to be saved, I have to be the best leader and strength to them that I can be. I'm not going to set a terrible example for them and expect them to, to do good. If you do bad, they're probably going to end up following you doing bad. But I try. I want to be an example. I want them to understand, hey, this isn't just for fun. This isn't just to see how many miles will my truck run before it dies. That, ha that has nothing to do with that. It, it, it's, it's all about living your value, living for God, living your conviction. If I ever want to see my grandbabies being dedicated to God, their best chance is to keep them close to the things of God. And that's a fact. And I know I'm, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not right, I'm not expecting anything anytime soon. But when the time comes, 
I'm, I'm saying. One thing that a leader must always do is set the example. A leader has got to set the example. Not just set an example, okay? There's a difference between setting the example and setting an example. I will tell you something. Here's another some little nugget maybe somebody will like. You're always, always, always setting an example. No matter what, whether you like it or not, somebody's critiquing you. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's waiting for you to make a mistake. Somebody's, somebody's going to be out there, and somebody's watching you, and you're always setting an example with what you do in your life, regardless if you try to or not. But to set the example, to set the correct example, that is what we need to learn how to do. We need to discipline ourselves to understand, is this setting a good, to ask ourselves, is this setting a good example, or is this not setting a good example? It's important. This, I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't important. We need to set a good example as Christians, not just to our family, our fellow Christians, but to the world. We, we really, we're, we're, we're walking billboards for Christ. If you consider yourself a Christian, you might as well just paint it on your back, I'm a Christian, and let everybody check you out because that's the way it is. That's the way it is. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I was on the outside looking in. And when I first came in church, was I watching everybody? Oh, yes. There, make no doubt about it. I was watching everybody. Was I watching the pastor? Yes, I was. Was I watching the pastor's wife? Yes, I was. Why do you think I'm still here? Because they lived what they preached, and they lived what they believed, and they lived what the Word of God tell them to do. That's the only way you're going to make it. We must become more like him. Becoming more like him. It's an ongoing process. It's not going to happen overnight. And I, I thought about this. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm getting, you know, I'm aging. I'm trying my best. But as we get up there, you, you, you kind of have this idea that it's going to get easier as I get older. And I don't know. I'm not sure if that's true or not true. Life is life. It's unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen. But I, I can tell you what. If you go through life every day, like I said, you get up in the morning. I'm going to serve the Lord. It doesn't really matter what happens in this life because we're going to win. The church is going to overcome. And don't let go of the church. No matter what you do in your life, do not let go of the church. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be more like him. Every time you forgive somebody, every time you love somebody, every time you encourage somebody, every time you help somebody, every time you sacrifice for others, every time you do outreach, every time you give somebody a ride to church, every time you pick up the kids in the school bus, whatever it is you do, you are becoming more like him by serving those that he needs and wants. And God sees that. God will reward. He is a rewarder of those who diligently serve him. He knows and he sees. And I don't do it because I'm going to have a, a box full of attaboys when it's all said and done. Because quite honestly, none of us are God. None of us are God. I, I believe I'm going to make it, but I'm, until I do, I'm going to keep on keeping on. All right. I'm not going to say to anyone not to make any more stakes in life. 
uh, mistakes in life. That's, that's, that's not, <laughs> yeah, okay. mistakes. <laughs> I won't tell you not to make any more steaks either, <laughs> especially if you invite me over for dinner. Uh, but I am not going to tell anybody, you can't make any more mistakes because you're a Christian now and, and that's impossible. No, uh, in life uh, from this point on, I am going to say just don't quit. Just don't quit. Don't quit living for God. Get back up, dust yourself off, and realize you are one day closer to making heaven your home. You're one day closer each and every day that goes by. Joshua 24 and 15 says this. It's a very familiar verse for, for probably everyone here. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you. This day, whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we got to do. You got to make up your mind. I heard it, I've heard it said this way. I, this is not my original quotation, but you got to make up your mind that you made up your I mean, you got to double, triple, quadruple make up your mind. No matter what it is, I am not going to quit this thing. I am not going to give up on me. It's not you giving up on God, okay? Because God's not giving up on you. If you quit, you're giving up on you. You're giving up on yourself. God's going to keep on keeping on. God's going to be there. He's going to do what he's got to do. But you have got to make up your mind that I'm not going to give this up. I am not going to stop whatever it is that I have to do to be a child of God. Jesus was not persuaded by the threat of persecution. He wasn't persuaded by the threat of humiliation or torture and crucifixion. The disciples were not persuaded upon the various forms of torture, imprisonment, and, and facing being made martyrs through horrible and extreme deaths that were put upon them. They weren't deterred. They were not persuaded. They were of one mind and one accord. They were living for God. Their life was, was made up. And that's the life that God has given us anyhow. Without his sacrifice, we'd all just be like, I know this is cliche, but we'd be like zombies walking around in a zombie movie. You know, soulless. We're never going to make it. You're just going to be you're just going through the motions. And there's nothing worse than just going through the motions because I got better things to do, folks. I really do. I mean, I know you do too. We, we all do. <clears throat> the disciples were not deterred. What is persuading or what is, what is persuading you that serving Jesus is just too difficult or too much? I ask right now. Is anything, has anything come up? This is a question we have to ask ourselves. Is there something? Is there, what's the limit? What's my limit? Where do I draw the line for, for God, for following him, for serving him, for being a, a Christian, for being a disciple of, of God? Where, where is my limit? I don't think I have one. I signed my name on the dotted line. I was willing to give up this life for human beings uh, in the military, okay? Why wouldn't I be willing to do the same thing for Jesus? I mean, come on. It doesn't make any sense. 
to, to I'm going to live for Jesus a lot harder than I ever lived for the army. I'm going to live for Jesus a lot harder than I ever lived for anything else because that is the most important thing. And we need to make that our, our calling card. Um, what do you consider your own reasonable service? Don't tell me that wearing a skirt is just too difficult. Tell Jesus. He's the one who died for you. Don't tell me about it. Tell Jesus that it's too hard. It's too much to ask. Don't tell me that getting yourself out of that filthy, worldly pig pen that you have become comfortable in is too difficult. Don't tell me this. You tell Jesus that because he's the one that sacrificed for each and every one of us right now. And he would do it again in the blink of an eye for any one of us right now. Don't tell me. Tell Jesus. If you want to come play a little, friends and I appreciate it. Told you I wasn't going to leave too long. I'm coming down the home stretch. Let's stand across the sanctuary. I just want to finish this right here with one final question for us all to ask ourselves. I want, I want to do that. Um, we all need to ask ourselves a question. I mean, we're coming towards the end of the year. We're coming towards a brand new year. And I know there's a lot of, you know, that means a lot to some people. It, and, it, you know, it's a, it's a mental, whatever it is. It's, it's, a, it's a mental thing. It's a preparatory thing that we say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in better shape this coming year. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a better job. In this. We always try to set these positive goals for ourselves in, the in the coming year. But besides all that, I want us to ask ourselves a question. And the question is, what am I going to do to be more like him this coming year? What am I going to do? Am I going to read my Bible more? Am I going to pray more? Am I going to witness more? How hard is it to say to somebody, hey, here's a church card. If you don't have anything going on, come visit take you out to lunch after or whatever. I mean, we could do this, church. I'm telling you right now, we can do this. The thing is this. I'm telling you right now, I'm looking upon this congregation and this, this gathering right here. None of you are quitters. None of you are quitters. You have all continued through adversity. You've continued through life struggles. You've continued through the ups and the downs. Don't give it all up because you had a bad day. Don't give it all up because that just seems a little too, too difficult. It's not. It's not that hard. It's very simple. I'm asking myself the same question. I've been asking myself the same question for, for a while, for the last month or so. I've been asking myself, I've got to do something. What's the saying? How does the saying go? Uh, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. I don't want to do what I've always done. Maybe there's some things I want to do that I've, that I've always done, but I don't want to do everything that I've always done. I want to do something else. I want to change things up. I want to be a better me. I want to be a better Christian. 
I want to I do something for God. I want to shake the foundations of Carson City. I want to get on fire again, folks. I mean, we're, we're right here on the edge. This church is going places. I'm telling you right now. Uh, we are poised for something astronomical. And it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. It may not happen next month. But it's happening right now. And it's going to take a, a joint effort of all of us coming together. Let's come up into this pulpit. I invite you to come in here right now. And let's pray. Let's talk to God. Let's ask that question right now. God, what can I do to become more like you? I want to see families. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to compel my children to come up into this pulpit. Or right here. Come up into this altar. The Bible says compel them, and I'm compelling. I want to see families praying together. I want to see loved ones praying together, brothers and sisters, and we are family. We're all family here. Let's gather around and pray that we can know God's will of God and what we can do to be more like Him. That's all I have right now, but let's not let this moment go by right now, folks. I pray. Jesus, I pray right now, God. You've been, you've been working on me, Lord. You've been working on me already. And I don't, I don't know what it is yet. It hasn't, it hasn't come to me what it's going to be. But there are, there are things that are going to shake in this church. There are things that are going to move in this church with all these people, Lord. 